Hey, it's a trade show guy, Monday morning coffee for February 26th. This is Tim Patterson, trade show guy, owner of Trade Show Guy Exhibits out of uh, Salem, Oregon. I'm doing a little intro for uh, this week's video slash podcast here at Kaiser Rapids Park. I thought it might be fun to kind of take the camera out on location and see what we can find. Uh, a fairly new park that um, they're doing some more work. Problem is, you can see they basically. Uh, knock down a bunch of trees and they're probably going to burn all that stuff or haul it away or something got a great big toy structure over here uh more trees they've taken out so they're expanding this this is only about five years old it's uh, part of kaiser oregon just north of salem in fact uh, this, the school district here is actually salem kaiser so there are very very closely tied together in a lot of ways kaiser was only incorporated i believe in uh like the early 80s and they got a walking path that's about a mile long that goes down by uh, the river, the Willamette River. They have a little amphitheater down there. More of uh, Kaiser Rapids Park. This is a boat ramp. It's called Walsh's Landing. Ah, historical signs. I used to sell a lot of these at my previous company. Flooding. flooding. Tire tracks from people who drove around on the grass. See, it's an exciting place. Well, it was so windy there that it made the audio virtually unlistenable. So I thought I'd recap here. I was describing how I was listening to the car radio and a song came on and it brought back some great memories. So let's go back to the story. Uh, as we do this, it's kind of windy. Maybe I'll get back in because I bet you're getting a lot of wind sound from uh, that happening. So let me let me do this. Hang on. So this song brings back this great memory. I was in college and listening to a lot of FM radio. In fact, where I went to college up at uh, Mount Hood Community College up in Gresham, Oregon, there was a local station up there called KQIV. They broadcast in quadraphonic. Not stereo, but quadraphonic. So if you really had like the setup, you could listen to the station in quadraphonic, but most of us listened to it in stereo. And it was total freeform album rock. I mean, back in the day when they would turn a disc jockey loose with like 7,000 records on this wall. And I, I was actually at the studio once and I was amazed because they had three and four copies of everything. So you could play like seven tracks from Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon and back to back if you wanted. You just, just could do that. I, I listened to the station a lot and, and a lot of great bands uh, came into my life through the two years I was listening to the station while I was at this college. One of them was Thin Lizzy. I, I love that album that came out with Vagabond to the Western World. That's not the song, though, that I'm thinking of right now. So... Uh, there was a song that came on, and I remember this the, the very distinct piano break that came in, and it sounds like this. Okay, so there's the piano break. And then there was uh, another part of the song, which I remember very distinctly as well. And it went like this. But, you know, the interesting thing was I had no idea who the band was, and I had no idea what the song was. And years went by, and I never heard the song again, and it would haunt me. And I had this song that haunted me. It was really it was really kind of weird. Uh, you know, so we're talking five, six years later. Um, I heard the song again, and I finally figured out who it was, and I was just amazed. And I, and I, and I bought the album, of course, uh, was a fan of the band, Super Tramp. The song was called School. And it had this great riff in it, the piano riff, and then the, 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 the great part of the song. And the song started off with this playground. 
I don't remember that from the original thing, but I used to play this on the radio when I was uh, working in my mid-twenties as a music director in, in radio. And this song just always has brought back great memories of that time in my life when I was like stumped trying to figure out the song. And now I know it, and now the band is a great one. I actually got to see them live in concert once when the Breakfast in America uh, tour came through America a long time ago. Again, I'm not a youngster anymore. <laughs> uh, the interview today, interview today, fun one from Eric Rosenberg. Make sure I get the name right. Now, Eric is a financial guy, but he has used events in very interesting ways to, uh, well, actually make an income. He speaks at events. He goes to events. He hooks up with people that exhibit at events. I'll let him tell the story, and uh, we'll go from there. Hey, thanks for joining me for Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee. This is Tim Patterson. My guest is Eric Rosenberg uh, from Sunny Ventura. There's a, probably a song about Ventura Highway somewhere along the way, right, Eric? Yes, I actually got to go to the Ventura County Fair and hear that song performed live by the band that wrote it. Which, was, which will be, of course, America. Yes, seeing yes. America um, on the Ventura Highway was pretty darn cool. I'll, I'll bet it was. I, I saw them once many years ago. They only had two out of the three. Uh, and I think there's only uh, two out of the three um, even living at this point. So, you know. yeah, they're, they're one of those old-time rock and roll bands that- <laughs> The ones who are still going are, are going hard. It's awesome. Yes, and that's my era, so, you know. So, Eric, uh, I, I got wind of what you do uh, with your blogging and your, your, you're tying it together with business conferences. So, let's start at the beginning. Um, why, why, why did you get into blogging? How did that happen? Sure, yeah, so I started my very first blog way back in 2006, which makes me a dinosaur in blogger years, I think. Yes. <laughs> that was just a uh, personal blog. It was kind of a hobby. And through that, I um, tested a few different blogs. You know, they were all at .blogspot.com because I didn't know a whole lot about internet marketing or marketing myself yet at that point. Uh, but I learned a lot about blogging doing that. I did one blog about Israel and the Middle East that I enjoyed. It got me a little bit of notoriety in a good way. And um, yeah, I kept doing that. I went to business school. When I graduated, I got a job at a bank and my first job out, out of school, I was a bank manager approving mortgages, doing all sorts of finance-related tasks. I was running the day-to-day -day operations of the branch. When I left that job at the bank, I had been reading these personal finance blogs by people who'd gotten into a ton of debt and were writing their stories about how they fixed it. And I started thinking, well, geez, I've never been in a lot of debt. I've always been good with my money. I have this great finance education. I used to even run a bank branch. I'm going to start a blog about personal finance. Fun. October 2008, that blog was born. And uh, now here, almost 10 years later, it's called Personal Profitability. It's a blog and a podcast. And I didn't realize when I was writing that blog that I was writing my resume for a whole new career path. I spent about 10 years in corporate finance and accounting. I earned an MBA along the way. So that was clearly the path I was planning to go, was sticking in corporate America. But because of conferences, specifically a conference called FinCon, I started building relationships with some great companies. Some were startups, some were more established finance companies like banks and credit card issuers. And I started building these relationships because we were in the same place every year for you know, four or five days. In one year, one of these companies came up to me and said, you know, we love what you're doing. We love what you're writing on your site. Would you write for our site? We'll pay you. But I thought, well, geez, pay me. I'll write whatever the heck you want. That sounds great. <laughs> I can work from home and make more money on the side. Um, that, that's, that's my thing. So I uh, side hustled 
on these blogs and it led to a full-time job and it 100% would not have happened had it not been for going to conferences like FinCon. So uh, you go to FinCon and you go to other conferences. Uh, I think you, you mentioned Con Expo in Vegas, uh, TBEX in Alabama. How big are these conferences? Talk about those a little bit. Sure. So the conferences that have made the biggest impact on me and my career, number one, absolutely, is FinCon, which is why I've mentioned it twice now. Um, FinCon gets, uh, at the beginning, the very first year, I've actually gone to all of them. There have been seven, I believe. The first year, we had about 200 or so people. And now that's grown to more like 1,500. So in the scheme of big conferences, it's pretty small. But considering that it's very niched into finance writing, which is what I do, that's where I'm able to get those really strong relationships. A podcast movement is another one I love. It's uh, similar in size. I'd say they get about 2,000 people. Uh, TBEX was, I'd say, another one around the 1,000-person range. That's a travel blogging conference. The one I was most blown away by, I went along with my brother-in-law this last year to Con Expo, as you mentioned, and that one had about 120,000 people. So that was a massive conference, a totally different world than what I'm used to. <laughs> now that was, you said that was the Con, Con Expo? Yes, that was Con Expo. That right, was 100, 120,000. So are these smaller conferences, are they just uh, like sessions or are there some uh, small group of exhibitors there? Yeah, so there's always an expo hall. Uh, the expo hall at FinCon is actually, to me, where business really happens because I can go into the sessions and see the speakers. I've actually hosted my own sessions before. I see them as hugely valuable, but as my career has progressed, there's not going to be as much I'm going to learn at this point from a session on you know, how to start a blog or something like that. I've done that dozens of times. So for me, business really happens in those expo halls. That's where I can connect with the people who run the businesses, find the decision makers, because often I find the decision makers, if they're not on the stage in a session, uh, where you won't really build a relationship with them. You'll just hear what they're saying. You're not going to end up working with them anyway. So the best place to find them is those hallways and those expo halls. Uh, I've actually found clients at their exhibitor tables in those expo halls where I've walked up to a company. We've started talking about what they do, what they might need for their business and how I might be able to help them with that need. So, so you're, you're providing uh, content, basically, for them for their blogs, I mean, and you're selling your content to them. Is that, uh, is that your main uh, way to work with these companies? Yes, 100%. It's, uh, I'm primarily writing blog post style content for companies, and I get paid on a per post basis. So uh, a lot of the companies that are at these conferences are the exact target types of companies that I would want to work with. I would guess in the financial industry that a lot of what is written, there's, there's some specific guidelines you've got to adhere to that you, things you can say, things you can't say. Uh, and, and obviously you've been down this road many times, so you've learned uh, all those, all those guidelines. And so that's very valuable to them from that aspect. Would you say that? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Having my uh, two dual finance degree background with both the undergrad and the MBA has been a major factor in why someone might choose me over you know, another writer. And having experience, specifically credit cards and banking products, a lot with insurance products, and anything that has to do with taxes, you have to be so careful on making definitive statements. I have to use words like likely and probably and commonly a lot, because yeah. we can't just say, you know, if you do this, this will happen, because it's your money, and you never know 
with stock markets and investment markets and laws, things change so quickly. So it's important to kind of put a CYA, a little cover yourself asterisk <laughs> of anything that's written. And most of these companies I work with are established and they have good legal departments. Some of them do reviews of what I write. Some of them don't. It often depends on the topic and the client and what I'm, I'm trying to get at. I was actually just writing an article before we got on this call about uh, different ways to find a business mentor and conferences is one of those ways on that list. And that article uh, will probably be more lightly edited because it's not you know, saying here's something to do with your money. But if I were to turn around and write an article for a client like, let's say, Credit Karma, who I write for, you know, they're going to be very, very careful on compliance. I'm curious, do you get a, uh, do you get a byline in these or are you just selling the content as generic? Uh, the vast majority, I do get a byline. I get to say, you know, this is by Eric Rosenberg. And part of uh, the value that I bring with that background and my own blogs and podcasts is I do have a little bit of name recognition out sure. there in the finance blog fan community. Surprisingly, there, not surprisingly to me, but to most people, there is a community of people who are fans of personal finance. <laughs> Well, that doesn't surprise me. And I, I'm guessing that, uh, be, you know, finances and uh, the law attorneys are probably the two most highly regulated that you'd have to be careful of what you say on blogs and things like that. I know uh, as my radio background, whenever we had advertisers from banks and or attorneys, we'd have to be very careful what they said in their ads. And so um, they, they just, like you say, you've got to cover, cover their act as it were. <laughs> So tell me about your podcast. What, how long have you been doing that? How often does it come out? What kind of things do you get into? Do you have guests? Yeah, so uh, my main podcast is called the Personal Profitability Podcast. It's been going for, I think, about three years now. We're coming up on episode 100, so that's a big nice. milestone. And I, uh, typically, uh, episodes are about 15 to 30 minutes, usually around that 20 to 25-minute mark. Uh, we bring in a guest for an interview chat about things that can help people fix their money or improve their income. That's something that I really love to focus on because so many people think the maximum amount you can earn is whatever your employer pays you. But unless you're a lawyer or a doctor or have some kind of uh, executive position where you have a contract that specifically forbids it, you can side hustle and build your own businesses while you're working for your employer. And that is what led to this job I have today. It all started as a side hustle. So helping people earn more is a huge focus on my podcast. How long did it take you to get from doing a side hustle to where it was your full-time gig? I'm just curious. It was about eight years from when I started the personal finance blog till I became a quote overnight success and was able to leave <laughs> my job. Well, so you obviously had dedication and you hung in there and you thought it was worth doing. Uh, so you had some passion about it, uh, regardless of whether you were making enough to be, uh, have it uh, support you. But now obviously it is, is, is your main source. Yes, yes. It's, uh, it, it all started. I remember the first time I made enough money online to buy a beer. <laughs> this is the best thing ever. I just you know, wrote a blog post that I could go to the bar and have a beer. Then it grew to a point it was covering all of my bar tabs, which I was in my mid-20s at that point. So that was saying something. Right. Um, then I noticed, wow, it's covering my rent. And then I bought a condo and it was covering my mortgage. And it was in April 2016 when I had a six-month-old daughter and a stay-at-home mom wife that I thought I'd do the responsible thing and walk away from my good job as a senior financial analyst to, and sell my house in Portland to move somewhere more expensive to work for myself online. It's, and lucky me, it has worked out very well. I guess I like I well, luck. it wasn't luck. It was hard work 
and dedication and focus over years. And, uh, yeah. So, so you've been doing this 10 years, but only the last two has it really uh, come to full fruition, it sounds like. And now you're, you're kind of probably shifting a little bit to, to make, making sure you maintain that. Yes, it's been, uh, you know, with my financial analysis background, when I left my job, I've always had very good accounting and bookkeeping. I use QuickBooks. And uh, when I left the job, I was making when the bulk of my income from freelancing. I, I make a small revenue also from my own website, but freelancing is definitely the biggest source. Hmm. At that point, about 80% of my income but I do income reports at personalprofitability.com. So I'll tell you all the numbers. <laughs> so I was making about um, 80% of my freelance income from writing and 20% from website design and development support for a WordPress website. So you know, a small business wants a new website, I'd build it for them for a fee. And I figured out that about 20% of my time was going into writing. That led to 80% of my income. And that that 20% of my income from website work was taking about 80% of my time and the source of about 90% of my stress. If you're familiar with the Pareto principle or yep. read the four-hour work week, that's the 80-20 rule smacking me in the face saying, Eric, why are you wasting so much time on this part of your business that isn't working that well? Right. In a few months into having quit my job, I just walked away from 20% of my income knowing that if I really focused on that writing part, it should pay me back you know, multiple times over in dividends. And over that next three months, it, that's exactly what happened. My income about tripled. And it went from about four to 5,000 a month to over 10,000 a month and has not gone back down since, except for a couple months, which one month I missed it by $200. So being in that, I used to be a financial analyst rounding to the nearest million or 10 million. Right hundred bucks and uh the month that my um my newest daughter who's about two months old was born and our house almost burned down if you read about the fires in southern california we right. walk away from the edge of where the big fire line was and six of our neighbors homes were lost so that month i missed it by a little bit too but i figure having a baby and almost losing my house gives me an excuse but yeah well <laughs> every month over that 10,000 mark and, and I don't say it to brag I say it to teach other people it's possible to build a solid good income and a lifestyle that you love that could be totally different from the career path you have now but it all starts with focusing on income and deciding how you want to build some sort of business on your own and I like that you're doing a podcast as well uh, just to kind of support everything you're doing um and, and so let's talk. Uh, I just have a couple of questions. Uh, first of all, where can people find you? Yeah, so the easiest and best places to find me, you can go to ericrosenberg.com to learn about my freelance businesses or personalprofitability.com to get, I have a free ebook download, a free week long course called the Personal Profitability Bootcamp. That's a 10 minute ish video every day. Uh, you can find that at personalprofitability.com slash bootcamp. Or I also have a brand new podcast that I think is super hilarious and fun with a co-host called Oh No We Didn't. And if we don't offend at least one person, every episode probably did it wrong. That's about money, politics, and religion. So, Oh, that'll be fun. The, the three favorite topics that are the third rails of anything. Yeah, that's, that's what we want to do. We want to we talk about the things people really care about. Eric, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, we'll, we'll have everyone go check you out. And again, thanks for reaching out. Thanks so much for having me. All right, a tip of the trade show guy hat to Eric Rosenberg and a 
Cheers to him as well with the Trade Show Guy Cup. Uh, check him out on personalprofitability.com and find the podcast, Oh No, We Didn't. Oh No, We Didn't.com. Good stuff. Uh, this week's Trade Show Tip of the Week, uh, Do the Math. I actually posted a, a recent article on Trade Show Guy blog that had to do with reverse engineering trade show success. Really kind of a breakdown, a detailed look at the numbers you need to achieve when you're trying to get a set amount of leads at a trade show. So you got to do the math. Uh, if you do that, you'll have a better understanding of the goals ahead. So break it down and gather information. That's your tip of the, the week. That's that's your tip of the week. That's your tip of the week. Um, <laughs> for example, if you're able to track hourly visitors to your booth, you can get a better estimate of the total number of visitors over the length of the show. All right. So uh, if you have that information, you can then get a better sense of how many visitors it takes to get one good, solid lead and then work to improve those numbers from show to show. So the advice, uh, track as much information as you are able to gather and break it down and know what to do with it. Digest it and use it to make your next show more successful. And uh, we'll wrap up with one good thing. I'm listening to, and about three quarters of the way through, the podcast by Slate.com called Slow Burn. Uh, it's a podcast about Watergate and the downfall of President Nixon. Uh, just fascinating stuff if you're into political history like I am. Of course, I lived through it. I was a teenager when that was happening. So I got to experience it in real time. And what's interesting to me is that uh, the, the narrator of the show was not able to experience it. Apparently, Scruffy uh, is... Uh, hearing something. The narrator of the show is not able to understand what it was like in real time, but having been there, it was really quite interesting. I learned a ton of stuff uh, that I never knew, and I thought I knew quite a bit about Watergate. So slow burn the slate.com podcast about Watergate. That's uh, Watergate. Deb. That's, um, that's the one good thing this week. Have yourself a great week. Catch you next week on Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee. Be sure to leave a review and uh, gosh, subscribe at itunes.com there's a link as well in the show notes and on the trade show guy blog.com let people know about it spread it around thank you <laughs>